Welcome to episode six of Platform. Today, we're going to be talking to Cody Lampman. Cody might be one of my favorite skaters from North America. He comes from the Denver, Colorado scene and first got introduced to him when he was flow for USD and then he moved on to shadow and over the years I don't think he's produced a section that I've not liked every single one of them I've watched multiple times and just loved to bits he's one of those skaters that's got a lot of technical ability but he's also really good at finding new and interesting spots and I don't think I've ever watched a section that doesn't have at least one or two surprises in it he released his last section in I think it was like 2017 or 2018 and since then we hadn't heard from him and I was kind of worried that he dipped out of the scene because there's been a few skaters in the Denver scene that have just seemed to have disappeared recently um, skaters like Jeremy Spira and Jeff Phillip and also Howie Bennett who turned pro for Razors released a pro introduction part and then he's not brought out anything since I was kind of worried that Cody was going the same way and then recently he released his new section Ashes which just had amazing full cabs in it um, incredible wall rides I'm pretty sure they were switching natural and potentially one of the longest pud slides I've ever seen in fact the only one that even comes close to it is Eric Bailey's in one of the early Valo videos and yeah, so just wanted to ask him about that, find out what he's been up to. He is currently in Georgia, not the state, the country. So that's a bit random. Wanted to speak to him about that. Um, he's also quite keen on photography and filmography. I know that he went to university to do a screenwriting um, degree or diploma or something. And I know that he's been traveling a lot, taking photos in different countries all over the world. So yeah, just thought we'd find out what he's been doing with that. Before we get into it, cue the music. Hey, man, how you doing? I was worried for a second there that the the interesting internet connection wasn't going to work in our favor. No, everything's good. I was trying to uh, hook up my girlfriend's Bluetooth headphones so I wouldn't have to wear my tech nerd setup, but that took about five minutes before I was just like, no, I can't do this. I'm a, I'm a wired man. I want, I want a wire to plug in. Bluetooth is, yeah, it's the bane of my existence. We've got those, we've got one of those like Bluetooth uh what they call like stereo radio things in our living room and no oh, matter yeah. what phone I get I cannot connect the phone to it so <laughs> you're just left with the radio it's, it's infuriating um how you doing how's uh you're in the most random location <laughs> so so Tbilisi yeah Tbilisi I might be saying it wrong I don't know okay. if the T is silent, uh, but yeah, it's been good, man. Uh, like I said in our messages, we were in quarantine for two weeks. So when we first got here, it was, it didn't feel like we were in a foreign country. It just felt weird because we were in a hotel room having our meals sent up three times a day. And that was it. We had a little balcony where we could see that we might be in a foreign land, but it didn't feel like it. So now that we're out of that situation and we're able to walk around it it feels great we've got a cool apartment 
and we're right down or up the street from a beautiful new skate park that we've been going to in the morning. So it's been that. a oh, it's good. Yeah. So Georgia, the country, not the state. What right? That's a random place to go at the best of times, right? It's not exactly <laughs> a, a tourist hotspot. But you're going there during a pandemic. That's that's a wild choice. Yeah, um, it came together a little more naturally than you might think because we had heard about it. Just when you're traveling full time, you kind of start to hear about places through the other full time digital nomads, if you want to call it that. I don't love the term, but we had heard that Georgia was interesting to stay in because it was a good clash of cultures because of where it is. It's on the Black Sea. So you've kind of got some Ottoman Empire, you've got Eastern Europe, you've got Soviet influence. And on top of that, the cost of living is equitable to Southeast Asia, but it feels and looks like anywhere else in Eastern Europe. And Americans actually get a one year visa on arrival, which is unheard of for us. At most we get three months usually. Yeah, that's pretty random. What's the reason for that? I don't know. I guess it's just a tourism thing. I mean, I, I don't know. To me, it makes sense. I don't know. I don't know why the Schengen exists for tourists as far as that goes. But with the pandemic thing, it was actually a godsend because there were only a handful of countries that were willing to do a visa. And this Georgia was one of them. We had to prove that we made X amount of dollars as freelancers and we had to do the quarantine, but that was it. And everywhere else, I think Croatia was doing a similar system, but they said no Americans period. And (laughs) like Macedonia too was doing something. And it was like in Macedonia, I think it was, you had to make $5,000 a month. It's like, I'm I'm not making $5,000 a month. So it just worked out that we were able to get the visa. The whole thing was sketchy. It's a, it was a nightmare. I thought I was going to get sent back at the border, but, when we finally got in, we got through quarantine, then walking around the first day, we were both kind of laughing with joy. Like we got out of America. It's a miracle. <laughs> yeah. It's a weird time to live there. It's probably good that you're, it's probably good that you've been, you know, pretty much country hopping for how many years has it been now? Uh, it, just it feels like you're two. never in the States. Uh, no, that, uh, when I just went back was the first time in almost two years. Right. Yeah. So it was very, a very peculiar time to be there. Yeah. Obviously the new, all we get in the UK, all, all we see in the U S is the news, which obviously is a distorted impression of the reality because in certain areas it might yeah. just feel normal, but it looks like all hell is breaking loose over there at the moment. I mean, pretty much that's how it felt. Uh, I don't concern myself too much with the political stuff. Uh, The less that I am involved in it, the better my life is. At some point I realized that they just didn't, being upset about that kind of stuff didn't benefit me. And I was able to help other people more when, if I took that focus and put it on myself. So I don't know, I suppose I wasn't as passionately enraged about some of the stuff going on, but it was certainly a strange time to be there and just being away from America for so long, it's, I don't know. It's hard for me to talk about and not sound anti-American, which I don't want to, but it's very different when you've been living in Asia and Europe and then you go back to the States and it's kind of a wake up call. We kind of, we, we thought that we were going to go back and, and want to live there again and look into buying a house and sort of the opposite happened. We went back, 
I got to see my friends. I made a skate section. I got to go to the desert, do everything I wanted. And still by the end, we were both just ready to keep going. So <laughs> it's, it is weird the way that happens. Yeah. I lived in, I lived in South Korea for a year after I finished university and teaching English. And I was like, God, can't wait to get home, see all my friends, mm -hmm. see my family. And then as soon as I got home, I was like, wow, this is, there's just, there's things that you forget about in like your local culture or British culture. And yeah, there was just things I came back to and I was like, wow, because in Asia, you just walk about the streets all night in the middle of the night and mm -hmm. feel perfectly safe because everything's open all the time. Like you can eat in a yeah. restaurant till the middle of the night and it's not like it's quiet. There's people walking about, so you feel safe. And then in Britain, it gets past a certain time and you're walking about the street on your own and you're like, I feel a little uncomfortable. Like, I, I'm yeah. Right. So yeah, just elements of that. So I can imagine going from all the places you've I've seen you've been on your travels to then going back to the States, that must be like quite a shock to the system. Yeah, it, it's good. It gives you some of that outside perspective of what it's like when you're not used to it, which is always helpful, but certainly it was a little, a little shocking. It's a, it's kind of funny because my parents are always very nervous wherever I go. And so I have to remind them, you know, America isn't as safe as you want to think it is, but Hey, to each their own. I, I was just looking at it, Airbnbs in South Korea, actually daydreaming about when COVID ends. It's, it's a strange country to go to because certain things are really expensive and other things are like ridiculously cheap. So like, I, I didn't once cook a meal the entire time I lived there. I just ate out mm. three meals a day. But then in the school paid my rent for the apartment. So I had no idea how much it cost. And then when I found out, I was like, whoa, that's insane. Like, how can mm. people? So yeah, there's there's definitely different elements to it that contradict each other. Yeah, the rent looked pretty uh pretty up there, but anything beats the states. So this is true. Yeah. Um, so where you've been to like I'm sure I've seen you're in Morocco, you're in like you've been to like a heap of like countries over the past couple of years. You were you were in the UK as well at one point, weren't you? Uh that was, was a separate that? trip that was right before, before I left. Right. Yeah, that was actually the trip where I went to the UK. I got to stay with Leon and those guys, and um I went to Barcelona and Paris with two of my close friends, and we made a just like a little edit on a GL2. Yeah, but that was that, the trip yeah. when I realized I I think I need to just travel for a while. And I had done that in the United States. Uh, I'd always dreamed about doing it in the rest of the world. I mean, it was something that I would sit at my job in Denver and, and kind of think like, how can I make this happen for myself? I don't have in education, I don't have any money. How can I do this? And that was the trip when I did it. And I met a girl in Barcelona and she explained to me that she was using a system where it's called work away and you work in exchange for a room and board. So she was working at a hostel. And to me, it was, it was very serendipitous. I had always thought all I want is to travel. I don't care about money. I don't care about owning anything. If I could just find a way to work and have a like a bed to sleep in and food to eat i'd be happy and so once she told me about that i could i was able to do it right so that's I, that's what i was going to ask how you're able to fund all this so you're just working random jobs when you go to these different countries i was at first uh for the first year pretty much so i went to portugal and went to the azores i'm sure you're 
familiar with them. Most people in the States have never heard of them, but the islands off of Portugal. And I worked at, like lived with a woman and worked her yard basically, like helped her with gardening and stuff. And then I went and worked in a hostel in mainland Portugal. And it was cool. I was never very comfortable with people before working in a hostel. And that made then, me then really you get a choice. Yeah. You're yeah. Like, you, you have breakfast with strangers every day and it really changed my perspective. But uh, we did the, I did the same in Morocco, worked in a hostel. It was really weird. There it was in the off season and this guy that ran the hostel just kind of learned to trust me and my partner. And so he left to Spain for like a month and we just worked in this hostel alone in the off season. There were weeks where it was just us and we would go down the street to this weird little cafe and, sit inside and it was only uh, old Moroccan men because we were in a like a surfing beach town. So during the winter, it was just only locals. But after that, uh, my girlfriend, was a, she's a graphic designer. And so she kind of said, hey, you know, you don't need a college education to do this stuff that you want to do. Just learn right. it. And so slowly I started building my own skills and now I work for myself. So we go to each place and rent an apartment. When you say you work for yourself, what do, what do you mean in terms of what you're doing for work? I'm a UX design consultant, so I usually work I'm going to pretend agencies. to know what that is. Yeah. You're going to have to explain uh, what that is. <laughs> yeah, it's a fancy way of saying that I'm a web designer. Right. <laughs> so it's a lot of the stuff that you learn in that world, it's like, this is all terminology. As long as you can speak the language, you're okay. So that, I do that. Yeah, right. And it's good. It's just uh, when you ask how I fund it, it's kind of a funny question when people ask that because I my um, like my cost of living is lower than ever before in my life, but the quality is higher, and it's just because I go to places like Georgia, where here I can have a huge, nice apartment, and it's six hundred bucks, and that covers everything. And I can go to the corner store and get enough groceries for the week and it's $20. Whereas in the States, my rent, you know, I had the cheapest apartment in Denver and it was $600 for a tiny little basement. And to survive, I had like $5 in the bank account all the time. So there is that role too. Yeah, it kind of feels like any city in the States just prices out local inhabitants in some way, like, the only, it seems like the only people that can afford to live there are people in the upper brackets or people that move in rather than people that have perhaps lived there their entire lives. Um, yeah. When we last spoke, and I can't believe it was this long ago, it was like 2014 for, oh, yeah. for your, I can't remember what issue it was, but yeah. And you told me you were doing screenwriting. At, was that a college or a community college or something like that? That's right. And I then forgot I saw, all about that. Did I see that you were working on a film at one point or have I imagined yeah. this? What, what yeah, happened no, with no. all that? Um, so I was going to go to school for screenwriting. Um, my father is a Vietnam veteran. So they kind of have this for, for a while. They had a program where if you're, if you were in a war um, then your son or whatever got X amount of dollars to go to college. As sort of like the U.S. government saying, you know, we fucked up your life, so let's fix the, your so, kid's life. Uh, yeah, let's give the next generation uh, a chance. Yeah. yeah. So I was going to go to college on that because I was always very poor. I mean, and I, I don't know. I never had any real skills in Denver. I just worked in restaurants and barely scraped by. And the year that I was going to go, 
the year prior, the government had changed the rule and made it like you had to be two years younger. So I couldn't do it anymore. So my best friend was going to film school. So I just started like going with him to the to classes and he would like bring me to help on film sets. And I would just kind of stole a, a small education. That's incredible. <laughs> so, I love that. That is, that is, that is a hustle and a half. That's great. You're yeah. like, I'm getting, I'm getting the education without paying the fees. You're like, this is brilliant. Although you don't get a qualification, yeah. but still. Right. But, but in still, that world, it didn't matter stuff. too much. Yeah. yeah. And I have always been very good at teaching myself things. If I'm interested enough to learn something, I, I will devour all of it. Like with skating, you know, you, if you're passionate about it, it's easy to devour anything you can get your hands on. So I was kind of doing that on the side and I was, you know, writing stuff and, and helping him write stuff. And so we decided to make a film and it was just a nightmare. Like we spent thousands of dollars, uh, like everything the two of us had and made this film and it just didn't work uh, on the editing floor. It, it just, it was something that I never wanted anyone to have to see. Right. And so it was very sobering in that we tried it and we figured out that it didn't work. And for me, I also figured out that I didn't really like, it sounds bad, but I didn't like how much collaboration making a film required. And that's the cool part about it is that when it does work, it's hundreds of people coming together to make something. But when it doesn't work, all it takes is a few people not on the same page. And so after that, I was, I worked on a few film sets. I helped with uh, some commercials and things like that, but I just wasn't interested in that hustle. And around that time I went through an extremely serious breakup and just fell hard into drinking and doing drugs. And at that point it was just a matter of survival and bettering my life was kind of out of the question. So you're saying that happened after we spoke, because I remember when I interviewed you, you were, I'm sure we talked about sobriety and you said you'd been sober for a while when we did the original interview. So yeah, this, all this happened afterwards. Yeah. And, uh, in 2014, I was on my first sober venture. Um, I, I don't know. It's hard to explain when I always say, like, I just knew the first time I had a drink when I was 12 years old, I knew this was for me. And so it was kind of something that I always did. And with the crew in Denver, it was a part of our thing. It was a part of our culture. You know, you weren't just a skater. You were also a maniac drunk. And that was kind of what drew me to the Denver guys in the first place is when I met them, they just didn't care about appearances or anything. It was just about skating and acting nuts and living like trash so that you could work as little as possible, you know, and, and just skate and make stuff. And it was cool. It was like a skating. There was like my New York for artists in the forties or Paris for writers in the twenties. And so I think in 2014, I had just started experimenting with being sober because that at 24, I had started getting adult hangovers where you that, actually that, can't that, skate. Yeah, that's a reality <laughs> check when you wake up the next day and you're just clutching your stomach. Yeah. Yeah. And during that time, um, I, that was a good year, man. Uh, I skated really well. I should have stuck with it <laughs> first try. That, that, yeah, that's when your shadow, the shadow 2014 section came out and that thing was yeah. nuts. Yeah, I was sober for most of that one because we would go on skate trips a lot. And um, I realized, hey, on skate trips, I like to skate. And 
being hungover is making this too difficult. So I would go on stretches of sobriety while I would skate. And around that time I met a girl, fell in love, had to did that whole thing. So then a couple of years later, really it started less than a year later than I kind of like fell back into the, into that lifestyle. And I don't know, it, at, when I was young, it felt like, uh, it felt like it was a part of my personality and like, it was a part of my vision of myself as a skater or something. It's also ridiculous looking at it from a place of less ego. Not, not necessarily because there is a time and a place. Like for example, when you're younger or when you're in college or university or whatever, it kind of just seems like a rite of passage to do stuff like that and like to party too much and, you know, to binge drink and to party for days on end. And if you do experiment with alcohol and drugs, it's not really seen as a bad thing. It's just seen as being young and being, but then after Mm -hmm. a certain point, that's when it becomes like, Oh, this is actually a bit of a problem or when none of your friends are still doing it, but you're the only one still doing it. And you're like, well, it's no longer being sociable either because I'm just doing it on my own. And that's when it goes from being, I don't want to say normal, but like accepted or yeah, it's essentially sociable to then being an issue when it's, when it's starting to interfere with every other aspect of your life. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny because it's such a huge part of skate culture. And I think especially I don't know about when you were younger, we probably came up somewhat close to the same time, but I mean, even when I was in my twenties, you know, for my core group of street skating friends, you know, if you didn't take part in that side of it, you were lame. Like it didn't matter how good you were at skating. If you weren't down to get drunk and do drugs, then you were just a good skater who wasn't cool, who couldn't hang. And I also wasn't very good with people. And if you're not good with people, booze can kind of help. It's yeah, it's one it's the the social lubricant. You're like, oh, I suddenly don't have as many inhibitions. I can, yeah, mm-hmm. but that can go two ways. You can either then become, you know, outspoken and interesting, or you can become obnoxious and horrible. But yeah. yeah. Um as I'm sure everyone has experiences of being both those people on yeah, instances when they're on those substances. Um yeah, I, d- I, but I think Bladen kind of lends itself to extreme personalities because in order to take that level of pain regularly, like name a day, it's it's a rare occasion when you go out and don't get hurt to some degree, whether it's just a dead leg or a sore shin or smashing your balls. But then you also have to be prepared for the fact that there's times when you're going to be crawling back to your car or, you know, yeah, very or you're going to need friends to lift. And that takes that takes quite an extreme personality in the first place to stick with something like that because you're essentially punishing your body. So if you're already willing to do that, it's not much of a leap to imagine that you're willing to experiment and, you know, shove substances down your body that you don't actually know what's in it. Oh, absolutely. I think too. Ecstasy, MDMA and stuff like that, you know, they might, it's, you know, the person who gives you it says there's something in it but there could be completely other substances in it altogether. Oh, absolutely. You're always running that risk when you're living that lifestyle. And the thing that I always say about it is when my friends come to me to talk about it now, uh, if it's working for you, cool. There's nothing wrong with that. But when it's not working for you, you know, and you have to then decide how long you want to keep fighting it not working. Yeah. For me, it only took, you know, 10 years of it not working for me to get it together. But 
to each their own. I mean, some people can handle that sort of lifestyle and skate great and hey, that's cool. But for me, I had to find another way. And definitely the extreme lifestyle skating lends itself to it. I think there's something to the bond of it as well in that when you skate on a high level and your friends skate on a high level, I do believe there is something to the fact that you're constantly watching each other deal with and break through extreme barriers of stress. And that kind of builds a connective tissue that most friendships really can't relate to. I mean, if two friends get in a car accident and barely survive it, that's not that different from what goes on on a rough day of skating between three friends. And that kind of thing also lends itself well to friends who then take that outside of it. Like my closest friend who I won't name, like in Denver, when we would skate and push ourselves to that level of, you know, like borderline doing things that are extremely dangerous and and having to push past fear. It wasn't that different from then feeling comfortable to stay up all night long for a few days straight doing drugs and confessing your sins or whatever. It it definitely has a very similar aesthetic in that, yeah, you're, you're, well, both activities can essentially very realistically result in you dying. But the, gamble that you're taking for that isn't result for extreme euphoria because when you land a certain trick or do something you're like this could get me killed and you don't even if you just get a little bit hurt you're like i escaped that and it's kind of the same with drugs like you're like i can experience something incredibly you know out of body experience like have an incredible time you know connect with my friends closer than ever have or it can go really really badly and you don't, yeah, absolutely. You, you have no idea which way it's going to go before you take that substance. Absolutely. Um, I feel like this is going to be a recurring theme for your podcast. You better be careful. It was, I was not expecting <laughs> that with Jake. I was actually quite surprised when, when he hadn't been in skating for years, I simply assumed it was because he'd got into a serious relationship. He'd had a couple of kids. And then when he told me that, I was like, whoa. And then to come back from all of that and skate at that level, I was like, that's that's kind of unheard of. So, you know, nothing but respect for that. Even if he didn't come back to skating, even if he just got rid of all those issues and, you know, it helped. Yeah, getting through that is... Dad, that, that's enough. That's a huge fight. I just watched his part again today and it's, it's so good. If anything, I think he's more interesting to watch now than he was then because now he's doing lines and you know connecting interesting obstacles whereas before he was just hammering handrail 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 and i was like if anything you're better now than you were when you were meant to be in your prime oh absolutely and having carter i mean if carter chooses to bless you with his filming he's going to force you to make an interesting part because he will take your powers and show you what to do with them and that when I saw that Carter made that part, then I knew we were in for a surprise. I felt like he did the same with Jeff Howard. Carter's definitely been responsible for some of Jeff's like better parts over the oh, years. Yeah. Jeff's, Jeff's ground control section that Carter made, where he does that. It's like a weird. It's not a wall ride, but he like bonks a wall over a drop. It basically like it's like a ledge, but instead of skating the ledge, he like kicks it to gap over the ledge over a drop. And I'm just like, oh That's, yeah. I was like, you're, that's one of those ones where it's like, you can clip it and die. Like you can just go yeah. face first, 
or it can look insanely creative and really clever. <laughs> but there's, yeah. no, there's no in between. It's not like you're going to get away with it if you mess it up. You mess it up, you've just skated full speed at a drop ledge and chose to clip it. Yeah, that stuff is scary and it's very difficult to make that look cool. Jeff Phillip and Howie Bennett were always, and Jeff Howard are some of the guys I think of who did that sort of thing and made it look cool. Because otherwise it just looks like, you know, a mistake you flop or your legs yeah. around or, yeah. And Carter knows how to film it to make it look good. But yeah, the incredible part from Jake, incredible parts from Jeff. Yeah, I, yeah, they've got a hell of a caliber out there at the moment, especially the people that are getting in, like Corey, and then you've got Josiah, and even just the local guys as well, and like James, is it James Truett? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. My God, all of them are just, even Carter himself, like Carter skates. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, a brilliant level. Um, I was going to ask you about, this, well, because obviously you've been kind of in and out of the scene for the past couple of years in Denver because you've not been there. But it seems like it's starting to, I, I don't know what's happening or whether they've all just moved on or whether what's going on, but it doesn't seem like Jeff's skating anymore. It doesn't seem like how he's skating anymore. Ian Walker doesn't appear to be making videos. And Jeff put up some posts on social media. I can't remember whether it was at the start of the year, but at some point during the year that just suggested he was going through an incredibly rough patch. And it just seems like, and Jeremy Spira as well, we don't, we don't really hear from him anymore. What's, like, are all those guys still skating or what's, what's going on? Um, Spira, he's got uh, a family. He's still skating as good as ever, but definitely family first. Oh, yeah, um, I was yeah, lucky enough sense. to go on the road trip this year. I didn't get to see Jeremy, but I got to see a lot of the other guys. Uh, Howie, I haven't seen in a few years. Because um, Ian he was, and I, he was an incredible talent, and then he had the pro yeah. part for Razors, and then it felt like he just fell off the face of the earth. And I think a lot of people were really hoping that that was going to be the start of him finally being, you know, recognized for his talents. Because yeah, he's been putting out just unbelievable parts for years. Yeah, I mean, I've I always say when you watch a Howie part, he does the stuff that a lot of the guys now want to do and pretend to do like the wallies and the pole jams and how he does it for real. Howie is the best skater I've ever skated with. And I've skated with everyone. I, I don't, I've seen him do stuff that isn't feasible. That is like something a skateboarder could do because of the physics of it, but he yeah. somehow knew how to do it. And he was my favorite person to skate with. He was my, one of my closest friends, uh, I wouldn't be half the skater I am if it wasn't for those guys, because they had that ethic always of do the trick for real or don't do it at all and do it in an original way. But Howie, I tried to get a hold of him when I was in Denver recently and I, I couldn't, I don't know if he has a different number or what the deal was, but also I was only there for a week staying with Jeff. Jeff filmed most of Ash's, uh, so once we started filming, we went into almost, I, I don't know how to describe it. It was like, uh, we were tunnel, both just so focused. Mode. Yeah. 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 Per perfect description. Uh, we didn't hit up anybody. We didn't like go to hang out with anyone. We would just wake up in the morning, go to the spots, get the deals and go to bed. 
and that was it. So I probably could have made a harder effort, but it seems like real life is just kind of caught up with a lot of those guys. As far as I know how he's just working. Uh, I think I know that for him getting a trick was just as hard as it was for me, if not harder, I've seen him try a trick for three, four hours on a regular basis. So I think it just hit the point where the, it wasn't really worth it anymore. Just had and enough. yeah. And especially I don't want to talk shit. Um, and I don't mean it in a shitty way, but for someone like him where he's suffering so much for every trick, I think it's frustrating when he looks at the rest of the team and some of them are, you know, going to a skate park for an hour, filming some grinds on some coping. And that's in the eyes of razors worth just as much as a part that took a year, yeah. which is that old school mindset. And I get it, but I'm sure that was frustrating. Just skating a little bit again, but mostly filming and hanging out. I think he got too good. Well, I saw, I saw that he made the <laughs> Trevor Tylowski park part. And then, yeah. but then it seemed like, yeah, he'd either fallen out with the rest of the guys or he just become disenfranchised with skating. Cause yeah, he just had a few posts that suggested he was incredibly miserable basically. And yeah. I think he's having he was, trouble finding value in skating. He was on a tear yeah, for like five or six years. It felt like a month couldn't pass or two months couldn't pass without him just dropping, you know, a ridiculous street section on, on a different part of the, on, of the U S. So that that wasn't sustainable. You can't you can't put no. out that much content that regularly and keep that going. But it's it's sad that it's been a while since we've heard from him. Yeah, we'll see what happens. When I was there, I think I could see him starting to enjoy it again more. And he enjoys filming because it's to him it's just as much an art of as skating is. He has a way of making each clip work in a way that it wouldn't it wouldn't without somebody else. Or it, he has a unique eye. Like he understands exactly how to work the fish. So. He enjoys doing that. I'm going to try to get him to start doing it, but it's up to him. Skating can become a big thing in your head. It can become a lot of things that it's not when you're too close to it. Oh, definitely. And I think a large aspect of it is the social aspect. Like if you don't, if something happens to your group dynamic or there's not as, you know, your favorite people to spend time with because they don't just become skate friends like some of them do just become your closest friends in life and if for whatever happens you guys follow or you aren't you don't have that person to skate with that can impact your enjoyment of it to a massive degree absolutely it's it's hard i think too when you get used to the life that him and i were living for a while where it was a close-knit group of friends who were pushing each other and who were down to skate and film every day. And it can be really hard to let go of that and to say it's over. It's yeah. time for us to, to be adults. Meanwhile, I have less responsibility than ever, so I'm not one to talk, but yeah. you know how it gets you, you a natural up, but process. I'm out of here. I'm, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going globetrotting for a couple of years, but you need to Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, because when we last spoke, you had me... What kind of term can I put? Excited, or you know, you had me believing that there was a follow up to El Chipo. Was it El Chipo? El Chapo? El Chupo. El Chupo. You had yeah. me believing you guys were working on a follow up to that, and then that never materialized. And I was like, he, he let me down there. What's going on? Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I let I let myself down. I I also thought we were going to do that, but. Did, it, did you guys ever start it or did it just fall apart or what happened there? Uh, it was hard 
to, it's hard to say. Um, with Ian, he always had a very straightforward vision. You know, he knew what we were making and it was kind of a matter of us just trusting him. And right. it wasn't so much a collaboration as it was, you're just working with him and you get what you get. And for a while afterwards, we were kind of working on it, but it was difficult because at that point, you know, Jeff had, I don't I think he had at least one sponsor. Uh, Howie was making stuff for razors. I was trying to make stuff for shadow and haunted. So it was always kind of frustrating for Ian, I think, because it was, it was no longer just let's film for your video. It was, yeah, we can film for your video, but by the way, I need to make this and this and this. And it was always hard for us to produce content. I don't know why. So if I had to make one section that was, you know, going to be six months to a year. And if I'm supposed to make it for a haunted video, then it kind of takes a, takes the chance away to film for anything else. We just weren't very productive, <laughs> but I don't know what happened. He put out a couple other videos more focusing on the younger kids. And I thought that was really cool because I didn't see him going down that road. And then when he did and he made um, the humongous mixtape with like Zach Pavel and Isaac and- Yeah, I remember he made ones who went to like Portland and stuff like that because he was hanging about with Carter as well and they were filming stuff there and he would come back. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure he helped out with Corey's, Corey Waikiki's ProScape. Oh yeah. Well. I think he helped film a couple of clips for that, yeah. Or maybe even- Yeah, he it. filmed a lot for that. I think he might've edited it too, but I'm not I, sure. I think he did. I can never remember. Yeah, I always get mixed up. I, I yeah, know he had some involvement in it. That was definitely around the same period we were discussing where all of a sudden Howie and I were a little more focused on the partying and filming enough tricks for one party year at most than we were on helping our buddy make a skate video, which is a shame, but that's how it went. Yeah, There's nothing that, to do about it now. It happens. Um, you mentioned Haunted. Haunted are still kind of going, but you're not riding for them anymore. Or no, are you? no, I'm what? not skating for anyone anymore. What because obviously Shadow you you were on USD, then Shadow, Shadow obviously ended and weirdly they've made a comeback and it just looks strange and Yeah, I I don't know what happened with the whole Shadow thing. Um I was in docs with them a little bit and it just got a little more frustrating than it was worth because I thought I was a little more a part of the team and had had some phone calls that were pretty serious and then when they were taken over by USD. It was just kind of like back to one email every six months. So I, I gave up on it. But when I decided to leave the States, I also knew that I was done making skate parts and that the stress of making the skate part wasn't worth it anymore. Uh, physically, it was just starting to hurt. I never had health insurance in the States. So it was always a gamble making a part. And I knew that I would skate again for fun, but I wanted to very definitively tell people I'm done so that it wasn't like one of those guys that fades away. And I told the owner of Haunted Matt, I sent him a message and told him, you know, I've, I'm sorry, dude, but I'm, I'm done. Uh, I was going to try to make one more section for him, but it just didn't pan out. And that was that. I think Matt just hit me up the other day about sending me some stuff, but I don't, I don't know, man. I don't want free stuff. I'm 30 years old. I have a, a job. I can buy wheels. <laughs> yeah. That's, but that's also got to be a hard thing to admit to yourself when you, because it's, it's obviously a massive part of your life and something you've dedicated a lot of time and energy. And like you said, pain to, to actually 
let those words come out your mouth and say it to someone else and be like, this is over. Like this, this whole run that we've been on, this thing I've been doing, I'm not doing that anymore. That's, that's got to be a hard thing to actually hear yourself say. Yeah, absolutely. At the time it was, I mean, it was uh, difficult, but it was kind of in line with the way that things were going. I had sobered up for the last time. Let's hope not. Let's hope definitely. And, uh, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a better, yeah. yeah, let's, let's go with that. Definitely. Let's go with that. And I had decided I'm going to quit my job, sell everything I have. I'm going to live in a basement on an Indian reservation in Arizona with my friend, work in a bar for three months and make some money and leave the state. So it wasn't, I think it helped because it was a part of an, an evolution. So it wasn't just, I'm going to quit skating and try to maintain the life that I already have. It was sort of, I'm going to let go of skating and let go of my normal life and move on to this next thing. So as hard as it was, it was also kind of a relief because skating and making parts is stressful even if it's a ridiculous thing and you let go of all the ego stuff still i think there's an almost subconscious need to continue to prove yourself and to continue to maintain your your personality or whatever if you've been making sections like you guys have been making where it wasn't just it wasn't just an average skater putting it apart it was like you guys were all pushing these boundaries because like you said with howie bennett he did stuff that I'd never seen people do before on skates. Yeah. And yourself, there's like, and I said this in the intro to the video, I can't think of a single section you've released that I've not been surprised by at least one or two clips in it. Like the most recent one, I've never seen anyone pud slide a reel that long before. <laughs> and then when I messaged, when I messaged you about it, you're like, yeah, that was the first spot of the day. And I'm like, What? that's not the first spot of the day that's that's the spot that can end the day like you get like a pud side's the kind of trick that if you mess it up you're not walking away from it especially yeah, on definitely. that rail like, and you've you've had a number of those over the years where you've done stuff and i'm like i i'm not sure i've even if i've seen someone do it i'm not sure i've seen them do it like that well thank you very much that that means a lot to me uh i always I always went for that with at least a few of them, you know, you, you know, which ones are going to be surprises uh, that pud slide in general. I knew I had to do it when I heard that song, it was very strange. I was listening to it and then I thought, Oh, we're right here. I'll pud slide that giant rail in Denver. So then it had to be done, but you didn't have to do every last millimeter of the rail. Like, <laughs> I, I, like I zoomed in on it. I was like, his skate goes off the end of the rail. It's not like you're like, Oh, pud slide half of it and hop off. Like, you pudslid the whole rail. It's weird the way that I open up because I never do that. Normally when I do a long one, I, I just stand up tall and you you know right when you jump on whether it's going to happen or not. It's not like a backslide where you have some leeway. It's all in or it's not happening. And usually when it happens, I can ride it as long as I want and pop off. And that one, for some reason, I think I was so afraid that Towards the end, I just thought, I'm not letting go. I'm starting to lose balance. I don't care. Just hold, keep your foot up. Let's stop doing this. Because it worked. It worked. Yeah. yeah so it the second try or something, I missed. A, I tried to frontside the rail to warm up and missed my back foot on a frontside. So it was like, 
uh, let's just get this done. <laughs> that, that would not have been my thought process there. That would have been like, this is not the day. Like if I'm missing front sides, I'm, I'm, not, yeah. going, I'm not going for the scary option. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, so you said you were done filming parts and then you go back to the States and the first thing you do is get to work on one of the best parts you've ever made. So talk to me about the thought process behind that or had you just been away for long enough that you were like, okay, um, yeah, there was some element of, I had been away long enough that I had let go of, like we were discussing the, that need to keep pushing the need to constantly be proving how good I was and to be making content for Instagram and to be living that sort of lifestyle. And after traveling a lot and being sober for a, a real definitive stretch of time for the first time in my life, I had started to miss skating. I would missed the camaraderie of it. I missed the physical act of it. And I would look back on the days of skating in Denver with the really like borderline potent nostalgia of, man, those were the best days of my life. And meanwhile, when I had first become sober, I'd become much more interested in meditation and then Buddhism and Zen Buddhism. So I had developed a practice of sitting meditation every day and I had begun to see the things that I liked in skating were almost directly tied to this new practice in the sense of in your moments of skating well, as every skater will experience, your mind kind of empties itself and goes blank and you're just performing physical action. And so I began to be interested in skating again, almost as a extension of this practice and of being able to let go of the stuff before that kind of held me up because I used to be a very angry skater. <laughs> Every trick was a fight. And, uh, you know, I was one of those guys that would be screaming and smashing skates and not having a good time. And I was interested in if that would be different now. And so, uh, in Bulgaria, I bought skates, started skating again, slowly. Um, I wondered if I would ever be able to make a part again. And I told myself that if I did, it would have to be the part that I really wanted to make. And I wouldn't have to go hard. I, I was, I'm 30. I proved it. Nobody cares. I'll just skate how I want. And so as luck would have it, we had to go back to the States uh, where my best friend, Michael was living. So I planned to go and film with him and I got the thim skates. They were the perfect skate for me. I was starting to feel pretty good. It took six months of working out and skating, just skating around to even feel decent. Uh, I was falling all the time at the beginning and missing tricks. It was really weird how long it took for the muscle memory to come back. But when I got to Salt Lake city to begin filming the part, I was kind of nervous because I hadn't actually pushed beyond that, that feeling of fear that I used to be good at because it is habitual. You develop the habit of forcing your body in that last minute to do something and of emptying your mind and saying, you're going to jump down this gap right now, or you're going to put slide this rail right now. Yeah. And so I knew that the meditation would help and that I could empty myself now without fighting physically to get to that point. So the very first trick I found in Salt Lake city that I wanted to do was the launch to wall ride on the underpass. So we went there and I started just trying to do it. It took probably 30 tries to get up to it, just skating. And I finally did it, landed forward. It looked awful because uh, I didn't have a pull in and I wasn't skating the bigger wish frame yet. 
but after that, I went back to Michael's house and I watched the clip and I thought, oh, well, I guess I'm doing real tricks for this part because I just wall rode an underpass for the first yeah. go. So, okay. So it was been, it's been interesting to do it again. Uh, I find that I'm in a much better place now. Only one trick in the entire part took more than half an hour. Uh, even when I'm in a big fight with a trick, I'm, my body will be angry. Sometimes I'll land a trick and be yelling and, and I'll catch myself, but in my head, I'm cold and calm. I had a long talk with Rob G about it and he was laughing, saying that it, it does become a physical habit to catch yourself getting angry at a trick, even though you're, you're not. So filming again was great, especially going to Denver and saying, okay, I've got seven days to make this part. I hope I can do this. This is what all my training has been for. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You keep mentioning 30. 30 is not old. Give that a rest. Like, <laughs> you get many years, like I'm 37. And I can, you know, I can still have. Yeah, you're still getting it. I, I look shaky, but I can, you know, the knees are still, they're, they're kind of doing what they're told. <laughs> to film like that, that section, like to film that quality, that caliber of a part in that short time just proves that like, imagine what you'd have been capable of with an extended period. So that that's a lot to achieve in the space of, what did you say, a week? Yeah, almost uh, three, three tricks were filmed outside of the week. Basically I filmed, I was in SLC for three months and I got one or two usable clips. And then I went to Denver for one week, filmed the whole rest of the park, came back and was like, I need the last trick. Let's just go get it real quick. So for the most part, the entire thing was filmed in nine days. No one is that productive. Most people can't even skate two or three days in a row because <laughs> they're like, no, everything hurts. I'm done. Like, I usually don't. I don't, like I believe in taking care of myself now, which I never did before. So I will typically only skate. If I skate hard or get injured, I take as long off as I need, but it was just a lot of luck and a lot of stretching. Certainly. I'll, I'll take your word for it. I've also, it's <laughs> so funny that you to, like say about losing your temper because I don't think whoever's been filming you over the years has not done a good job of capturing that then because normally you see people lose their shit after a few. Yeah. With, it, with all your footage, it just looks like you don't miss that often. Oh, uh, man. Or, or the filmer Every... want, wants us to believe that. Yeah, I've, I was very strange when I was younger and very egotistical and very like, this is what I can show and this is what I can't. It was ridiculous. Um, but yeah, dude, in 2014, 2017, those parts, I mean, every trick probably took at least an hour. For a trick to not take an hour now was a blessing. One of them took two and a half, but everything else was pretty quick. I like things now that you kind of have to do it or don't. I mean, the, I hate going back to the pud slide, but that's an example of a trick where you can't spend an hour on that trick. Yeah, You're going to do it or not. Yeah. Something's going to get go over it wrong. Yeah. Right. And um, that's more exciting for me, pushing to that level of, of skill versus challenge where it's a matter of execute it. Can you mentally execute it and be done? That is now reflecting on it. Thinking back to your old sections, they were a lot more, you could say technical, Whereas now it seems like your favor, you favor the obstacle over the trick, if that makes sense. So you're like, oh, there's an interesting rail next to a wall or there's a good line with a wall riding a, 
as opposed to yeah. before where you were like, I'm going to do all the negatives, all the, <laughs> <laughs> I'm basically yeah. going to do every hard grind I can think of. Whereas now it yeah. that you're like, I'm going to ski every interesting obstacle I can find. Yeah, definitely. I have my, I, there is some uh, conscious effort to not do things that are, I don't want to spend an hour on a technical ledge trick anymore when I can grind down a 10 stair rail second try and everybody will remember that, you know, I, I don't get as much enjoyment from it, but I do like to have a little reminder, you know, like I had to do the, the full fish brain because I was like, I got to remind people that I can still spin onto a rail. I'm terrified the whole time, but I promise I can do it. <laughs> That, that was one of the ones that stood out also, <laughs> the incredibly dangerous True Macchio because True Macchio in an, an electric box with a drop off the end, that can go wrong in, <laughs> in way more ways than it can go right. Yeah, that was, that was an interesting one, but it's just one of those ones where the ground is bad and you have to go full speed and just blast it. And I just thought, I don't want to fall. I don't want to have hamburger hands and first try just tore all the skin off my hands. So at that point, it's like... nice. Well, I guess we're in, we we're in well it now. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that point of uh, that point where you're in it and you and you are mentally stable and and you're you're doing this trick and you're pushing yourself beyond the limit of your regular consciousness. There is no other way for me to get that in in real life that I've found other than skating, or you know, like we said drug use mimics it but in a false way in a yes, way that it's, it's not it's, actually growing you yeah it's artificial well artificial synthetic what we it's not real yeah whereas when right you, when you do it with skating it is a genuine emotion so yeah yeah um, i'm interested to know what rob g's opinion was when you told him this when you like basically talked about losing yourself in it or getting angry with it or not being able to or like checking yourself what, what was his take on that because he seems like he has just turned into this incredibly zen guy i met him very yeah. briefly at winter clash and obviously everything that he's been through with getting shot and stuff like that but even before that he seemed like he did not seem like the kind of guy you'd ever picture getting shot like yeah he did not i did not ever picture him being in that scenario ever or ever bringing that scenario upon himself and obviously he didn't so um I can I can only imagine what his what his take on that was. He he must have had some sage words of wisdom. I can't recall what it was exactly. Um, I had actually never met Rob. Um, I looked up to him a lot when I was a kid. Uh, when I began practicing meditation, I thought of him a lot because I remember him talking about it in Daily Bread, you know, in like two thousand three or something. And uh, stuff like that sticks in your head, though. Like, there's just, yeah, it does. There'll literally be like a couple of sentences you'll read, and if it's if it resonates with you, it's like you you remember that for years. Yeah, you can look back, and sometimes the more obscure things that happen have some very clear uh, trail markers along the way. But I can't recall Rob and I just we went on a camping trip together over the summer, and we sat and talked for a long time about that sort of thing, skating and. Uh, the way that it works with your mind. And I can't remember what his advice was on it. I think he was saying that he was having trouble kind of pushing wherever he wanted skating to go. Now he wasn't sure I was in the same boat. I hadn't filmed anything yet at that point. And I was saying that I wasn't sure how to physically manifest in skating the emotion that I wanted, but I can't recall too much in specific. 
you know how it is. Sometimes you're deep in a conversation and it's a wonderful conversation. And afterwards it's like you were stoned. You don't remember a thing. Yeah. You're like, we had the best chats. What did you guys talk about? I have no idea, but I just remember yeah, don't know. having a very pleasant experience. <laughs> it was great. Um, He's a wonderful man. And watching him skate now is fantastic. My God. He is. He's one of these people that you just, he has a kind of calming presence. Like even, yeah. I think I maybe spoke to him for like five minutes maximum in February and he just has that he's got one of those faces that you can't dislike so yes um yeah it's he's there's something about him it's, it's difficult to place but there's definitely something about him um you take loads of photos and that seems to be the way you're documenting your travels or like the how most of us see where you've been in the world is that something you are like pursuing or is it just what's no uh, I, th- I, was... I thought you'd kind of switched from i thought you were like all oh, right well he's interested in making films now he's pursuing photography or he's got a passion for that i, I just wasn't quite sure like uh, for a little bit yeah when i first made the switch away from skating and when i uh, was first sober it it kind of sound like a broken record on that note, but that's when my life started to come together and become interesting. Um, I realized, well, what are some things that I, I like to do that I can begin to maybe make a living off of and photography I'd always had an interest in. And so I, for a while I shot professionally, but it wasn't very fulfilling and there's not much money and most of it is shooting really boring stuff. Right. And so when I stopped skating, I kind of let that take center stage. I just wanted something to dive into the way that I had in skating. So now I still shoot every day. I never go anywhere without my trusty little camera, but it's more of a personal thing. I don't really have any interest in ever using it for money anymore. Okay. Skating is kind of like photography in that some of the best photographers have found the best way to pursue it is to have a job separate from it. And that's kind of how I feel now have a job where I can make money and be secure and live the life I want and skate on the side on my own terms, make photos on the side of my own terms. Thank Yeah. That's, that's a healthy way to look at it. Cause it is very rare to get. Yeah. One, of, like you said, like one of those jobs that you actually find emotionally fulfilling rather than just doing yeah. what, doing what you're told basically. Um, how long are you planning on being in Georgia for? What's the, what's the, What's the plans for the rest of the year and next year? It's difficult to say right now. Um, With our visa, we actually can't leave and come back. So we're here for, we could be here for a year. Uh, I think we're going to wait and kind of see what happens with COVID. Right now, we can't go anywhere else. Uh, We couldn't even stop over twice in the EU while in transit. Yeah. like well, It's crazy. In Scotland, we've just went into lockdown again and all basically, the majority of the major cities so I, i'm not theoretically allowed to leave my town by car and if the police stop me i can get fined so yeah it's it's a crazy time we're living in yeah yeah so we'll see um i have been talking about making a part with bobby for a long time i was gonna but ask about that we'll because i saw i saw him leave a comment i think it was a couple of weeks ago and he was just that could be very very interesting because you guys have got you get very different approaches to skating, but approaches that I think can definitely complement each other. And he likes very similar objects. Yeah. And yeah, where definitely. he lives, it looks like there's just weird concrete and marble everywhere. Oh, yeah. Which which would suit yeah. 
Yeah, we're, I'm thinking about that big time because he hit me up a year, almost a year ago and said something along the lines of, you know, come on over, let's get you filmed. And I wasn't even skating. I think I've been skating for a month or something. I hadn't told anyone. And so we started trying to plan it. And my partner went to uh, Israel on like birthright. And so she liked it. And so we've looked into it. We could go and rent an apartment for a couple months, but obviously right now we can't do that. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I was just talking with the guys from Moscow about it too. Like, Hey guys, I'm right down the road, but can't, can't come see us. So we'll see. There's a couple guys uh, that I would like to make a part with if, if it works out, but it's just impossible to plan anything in a year if the world is the same i mean we would i don't know what we would do i guess we would have to try to get another visa or go back to the states yeah there's definitely a lot of uncertainty at the moment just with every aspect of that yeah so can only imagine but that would be that's a very interesting prospect cody lampman and bobby spazov split because he, he says he likes making split parts he says he doesn't he's not really a big fan of just making sections of himself so yeah i don't know what we would do it was a very loose like hey come stay with me and i said you know hey i'll one up you i'll just come and live there for a few months uh, but we haven't discussed it. i would love to do a split part we'll see what happens that would be very cool for now i won't even worry about filming anything at all i mean yeah there's a skate park down the street uh, there's some cool street spots but i'm just gonna skate for fun and try to keep the body moving I think that's that's the best way to be. That's perfectly healthy. So, have you guys got anything like you want to tick off the bucket list while you are there, or like what what was it that drew you to? Because obviously, you said like the proximity to other other places that you want to visit, but you obviously can't visit them right now. So, right is is there any stuff with within the confines of where you're allowed to go that you're excited to do? Uh yeah. My partner and I, while we were in Bulgaria, we learned that we really enjoy Eastern Europe and just the kind of Soviet brutalist architecture, which you get a lot of here. So we're excited just to explore the other cities. And honestly, it just feels good to live somewhere where it's interesting for me to go to the corner store and get groceries. And outside of that, we don't have much, too much specific stuff. I'm supposed to meet a rollerblader this weekend here. So maybe that'll lead to doing some weird stuff, but we'll see. There's plenty to see and do, I'm sure. We just haven't explored it too much. That is one of like the best parts of moving to a new place. Just everything's interesting because everything's yeah. new. So you're like, oh, and you're just walking around looking up at, you know, all the different just architecture and buildings and things like that. That that alone is worth going to a different place. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're doing really well. And when we hadn't heard from you for a couple of years and you did mention the whole sobriety thing, the last time we spoke, I was like, I hope it's not gone that way. It, but it doesn't sound like it has. It sounds like, if anything, you're in a healthier place than you've ever been. Absolutely. I definitely almost went in the opposite way. But I think if it hadn't gone the way that it did, uh, if I hadn't made the decision to leave the States, if I had tried to keep skating, I, it wouldn't have worked out as well as it did because skating had become a thing that I associated with dealing with pain and suffering and it skating came from a place of suffering. It came from the same place that my need to get fucked up every night did, you know, uh, and the only way to escape that part of it was to let go of it. So to 
let go of skating and all of that and move on kind of allowed me to be able to come back and make the thing that I wanted to make before, but that I was incapable of doing. Cause in 2017, that part was pretty close to, to being what I wanted, but I was still fucked up. And I mean, I was barely able to drag myself through that part. I thought Ian was going to kill me. I mean, if, if that's the way you were skating, me. yeah, when you're in a bad place, that that's a terrifying prospect of what you're capable of with more time now, because that CL part, that's the one with the full cab alley at topsail as well, isn't it? That yeah, yeah. but that's easy. That's just to prove what, I could do no, it. No, it's not. <laughs> not on handrails. No, it's not. I think I've watched that part like fifty times. <laughs> oh, thanks. I'm glad. Um, yeah, that one was a weird time. That was a very, uh, very much in the middle of who am I? Am I sober? Am I doing this? Am I going to commit suicide? Am I going to just hurl my body down dangerous things? What am I doing? But the difference is that part took a year and it took everything I had in me to drag it out. I mean, I, I've never suffered like I did for that one. And this part involves no mental suffering. That's what I mean. Like if, yeah, if you've got a clear mind and you're not, you're not inhibited by, you know, things like alcohol and drugs, if that's what you're capable of, then that's, that's a very promising prospect. So <laughs> if we have to wait another two years for a part, I'm okay with that. I can, I can wait another <laughs> two years. If, is, it if, might if, be you, a while. if you're going to deliver that again in two years, then that's, <laughs> that's fine. I'll, I'll wait. I need some emotional, uh, you need some, for me anyway, I, I very much need a, an element of emotion and it that's not something that I can fake. I can't go out tomorrow and film some tricks and stomp my feet and make it look aggressive. I need to have a feeling that I'm trying to get across. And I think that's why it takes me so long, but that's I guess why people resonate with it. With this part, I really thought maybe nobody would watch it. I just thought I'm going to put it on Instagram and maybe my friends will watch it. And that's all that I need. I'm, I'm happy and I'm fulfilled with it. Whereas before I'd never felt that way. And when everybody watched it, it was like, oh, wow, I guess I did a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. <laughs> yeah. I, I, like I said, I don't think you've released a part that I've not watched multiple times and enjoyed <laughs> each, each time afterwards. So yeah, you've, I, I don't see there being a future where you release a part and no one pays attention. We'll see. We'll see if I can't drag out one more at some point. For now, my girlfriend was joking with me that I've got a postpart depression. Oh, the, because I go the to the come skate down, park the now. Come down, yeah. Because there's, no, there's no, you've got no drive now. You've got, yeah, yeah. You've got no, you've got no reason. You're like, yeah. So it's very real. Oh, uh, I go to the park yeah. and I don't want to push it. You know, I don't. I never push it in parks anyway. But I'm just when you're for a week straight or pushing it every day, you forget that just casually skating is okay. It's all right. Meanwhile, I'm in the park and I've got one, I've got one bum ankle now and I have a bruised heel. So I do a little jump and I'm in pain and it's like, oh man, what, how did this even work out? <laughs> Can't even jump the box now. But uh, it'll we'll it'll pass. The, the body, the body will take care of itself. Um, well, I'll be having an incredible time in your adventure. Um, it sounds like you're doing great, which is what I hoped. And yeah. If we have to check in in two years, that's fine by me. Just, yeah, have a good <laughs> Sounds time. Sounds good. I'm going to pester Bobby now and be like, you know, you need to keep regularly checking in with him and making sure that this becomes a reality because, you know, people people want to see this. 
Oh, I'm sure he will. And I will definitely make it happen when the time comes. But it's been good chatting with you. I'm glad that we finally got to meet kind of face to face. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> when when you told me you were disappearing to a random country, I was like, he's just doing everything to get out of this now. But then <laughs> you were like, oh, the internet connection might be a bit bad. And I was like, it can't be that bad. Come on. No, it's pretty good, actually. So, which is a really for me for work. So this was our test run. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Glad to be of assistance. Well, thanks for taking the time to do this today. And yeah, hopefully speak soon. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Right. Speak to you about. Bye.